Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Gary Zendahas, a top-producing real estate broker with EXP Realty who's been in the business for over 20 years, actively selling real estate throughout Southern California. Gary specializes in many areas of real estate, but focuses specifically on seller representation, buyer representation, property acquisition, and bank REOs. Gary is also featured on the daily popular Southern California K-Frog Country radio station, giving tips and insight to the real estate market. Gary has been a leader in the industry, selling over 2,000 properties in Southern California throughout his career. He's weathered the storm of every decline in the real estate cycle and capitalized on every high point as well. As a general contractor, Gary's main hobby is buying properties and flipping them for profit or keeping them as rentals and increasing his monthly cash flow. His goal is to have 30 rentals before he retires from the industry. Outside of real estate, Gary loves traveling with his family and three dogs, beach camping, and physical activities such as running, golfing, cycling, and spending as much time as possible at the beach. Now, let's welcome Gary to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. And Tim Ventura, thank you for reading that great introduction for Mr. Gary Z. Gary Z is one of the most successful agents that you've never heard of, and I mean that in a very respectful way because in his marketplace everyone knows his name, but he does not and has never sought a a lot of attention. Gary is one of those agents that keeps his head down, runs incredibly high margins in his real estate practice. He had a big team, got rid of his big team. He's done. He's been up and down the mountain that so many agents are now struggling to understand, um, you know, really what direction to go in the real estate businesses. And Gary's been there, done that, and he's got the net worth to prove it. So, Gary, without any further delay, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you for having me, Tim. You might want to pull the, the uh, mouthpiece a little bit away from your uh, mouth. You're, you're okay. a little breathy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no problem. So, Gary, let's start out by letting everyone know where you sell real estate and how they can get in contact with you. Uh, I sell real estate in Southern California, San Bernardino, Riverside County. You can get in touch with me at 909-841-7501. And you also sell real estate in Orange County, too, where you live with your beautiful wife. Yeah, so uh, there as Correct. well, so Laguna Niguel in that area, good. Okay, so right. you and I, you do you remember how you and I originally met, by the way? Actually, I don't, to be honest with you. I, I do, yeah. Matt but Wagner introduced us from Radio TV, Correct. from Rate. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's right. right. I, and that was forever ago, you know? <laughs> so I'm interested, so Gary, you're, uh, what I want to focus on with you is why you decided to uh, focus on having a smaller group of people work with you, like maybe just two or three people working with you and not have a big team. I want to focus on that. I'd also like to focus on what you do for lead generation, because that's really, I think, what um, a lot of people, uh, most agents, every agent, when you ask them what their biggest challenge is, they're going to say lead generation. And that's something that you really have got cornered. And I'd love for you to share all your best secrets 
uh, for all of our listeners about what you do to generate leads. But let's start with the first question first with regards to why have you not built a big team or a big mega team? Well, um, I had a big team a while back. I wouldn't say a huge team, but it was about uh, 10 to 15 agents, um, a lot of babysitting, a lot of issues you had to deal with. Uh, you know, most of my energy went towards you know, helping them, getting them uh, business and, and doing this and that. And I finally said, you know, uh, this is uh, getting old and I'm tired of doing this. I spent all my energy doing, working with them and really not generating any business for myself or any real income. So I decided to get rid of most everyone. I kept a couple of agents. And I've been doing, uh, you know, a small team now for about at least 10 plus years. So um, the profit from having a big team versus the way you're running it now is completely different. I know every big team uh, person that has you know, 10, 15 people working on their quote, uh, quote team, most of those team uh, people, the, in the Gary Z's of the team, the rainmakers if you want to call them that, they usually have a net profit before taxes of less than 10%. And Gary was one of those agents that realized that there's a lot of insanity in the idea of taking all the risk of, you know, really training up your future competitors and all the rest of it really was what a team has become, a breeding ground for your best, your, your best competitors uh, over the next few years. But aside from that, what he really realized was that the margins that you can make running a business that's focused on listings and a business that basically has essentially assistance in place to service those sellers, that's the most profitable real estate model you can actually create. Why did you come to that conclusion? How did you get there? Well, I wasn't, uh, like I said, making any money, uh, too much overhead, too much spending my time with the team members. And then, like you said, I mean, once you got them uh, experienced and you've trained them, then they went, uh, you know, sometimes to other agencies. And it's like, wow, I just uh, wasted a bunch of my time. Uh, so I just focused on myself, a small team, and uh, that seemed to bring in, you know, a lot more income. I was more profitable. And uh, that's pretty much why I'm in this business is to be profitable and make more money and buy more investment properties. How uh, were you always so drilled down and focused on the point of being in real estate? It's obviously. You know, ultimately, your product being profit. It had, did you always think like that, or did had you been? Sound like at one point you weren't focused on that being your primary aim back when you were trying to build your big team. Is that right? Right, right. I wasn't. I was just trying to get the numbers up, the, the agents, you know, the agent count up, and uh, wasn't really focusing on the profit. Then, uh, when I finally changed that, I thought, well, you know, I need to really work on profit, and profit meaning, you know, myself working on myself. Uh, making the team a little bit smaller so I could generate more money and me doing most of the work, which is, you know, taking listings, buying investment properties. And once I changed, the, you know, that whole system, uh, then I started making profit. And then it was a lot more fun doing real estate. Why were you seduced by the idea of building a big team? And as you said, just for the sake of driving up the numbers, why did that uh, seem appealing to you when you were, you know, 10 years ago or however long ago it was like you described? Well, you know, I've gone to, you know, some of the masterminds uh, over the years and you, you encounter these uh, other agents who have these huge teams and they throw up these huge numbers. And, uh, you know, it was appealing. It was attractive. I thought, wow, I, I would really like to be like, you know, that individual. 
uh, with that huge uh, team and making you know a ton of money and you know doing 400 plus transactions a year, they come to find out you know months later that these teams weren't making any profit. Their overhead was huge, and uh, you know it was all pretty much you know smoke and mirrors as far as I was concerned. And I said, yeah, I don't want to go that route. I want to go with a smaller, little more uh, focused team. So I, I just did away with wanting to build a huge team after that. Why do you think nobody really talks about the lack of profitability in teams, let alone brokerages? Why is it, in your opinion, that no one actually talks about that? Well, I think it's kind of embarrassing when you find out that these guys spend so much money, they have so many agents in their team, and they come to find out that they're not making any money. Nobody wants to share the truth about them uh, not being profitable. It's embarrassing, and, and uh, you know, they just don't ever share that side of it until you discover that, hey, these, these teams haven't been making any money over the years or their, um, you know, their overhead is just ridiculous. And the way you really find that out is a really good recession like we had back in 07, <laughs> right? I mean, Absolutely. Gary, you and I saw a lot of these big teams, the guys that would be selling hundreds of houses, just essentially completely get wiped out. And what's really shocking is they got wiped out usually within less than, you know, six months certainly, but most of them within 90 days. Because listeners, and, and a lot of our podcast listeners are seasoned agents, but I'm going to say this especially for those of you who are getting new in the biz, or are new in the business, please be very careful about who you listen to for your information and make sure the path you're following is in alignment with what your ultimate goal of being in business is. Because the simple fact is, is that these big teams – Gary said aren't profitable. I'll say, I'll say they're barely profitable. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really drive a point home about that because it's, you know, it's, ego is the reason that most agents form big teams. They don't think in terms of profit. They're not thinking in terms of net profit, in terms of how much money will I have left over to make myself rich, which Gary is uh, on his way to do and I think many would argue he's already done. So the simple fact is is that if, you, if your goal is to be rich where your money works for you, and you no longer have to work for your money. If that's what your goal is, then you really better make decisions that are based on the idea that you're going to produce the most profit. Gary, what is your what are your profit margins now? Now that it's you and usually like two assistants, what what kind of margins are you making? Well, um, yeah, we, we are definitely profitable. Um, I'm buying investment properties, uh, always looking for investment properties. Uh, I'll buy these properties cash. I'll either flip them. Uh, I'll either rent them. Usually, I like to rent them, but you know, I couldn't do that before. There was not enough profit for me to flip properties. Not enough profit for me to pick up uh, rental properties. Now, with a smaller team, I'm able to be profitable. I'm making quite a bit of money, and I'm able to now invest for myself in buying investment properties, or or uh, going on vacations, or spending more time with my family. I mean, all that matters more than having a huge team, and uh, you know selling four or five, six hundred plus homes. Does it still no. tempt you when you see those big teams? Are you, does your ego oh. sometimes still, okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> well, it always does. I mean, I see the numbers and I see, you know, how these people, uh, you know, who have these huge teams, they seem to be always on vacation and they're doing this and doing that, not really focusing much on their team, I guess. I mean, that's just from what I see, but you never really... Uh, I mean, you look at it and it's appealing until you find out that, uh, you know, when the market shifts, like we said, and 
and everybody quits or you know uh, they have uh, an overhead that they can't sustain they can't pay for it, and all of a sudden you you just find out the reality of of that huge team when the market does shift so rental properties is what you talked about that's been your vehicle to create wealth long term that became your your north star in essence what you were that that was what you were focusing on with the idea why why are you buying so many rental properties and what types of properties are you buying well, uh, I advertise on radio, and I, we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But yeah. you know, the beauty of radio is I'm able to um, uh, put commercials out that will bring me uh, rental properties or flip properties. Uh, for example, a seller who has a home that's uh, in bad condition. They want to sell it quick. They don't want to do any repairs, no appraisals, no showings, no commissions. I'll buy these properties out, you know, from them outright. So I advertise uh, for those types of sellers. So I pick up properties. I just picked up three. Uh, of the three, I'll probably keep one as a rental. The other two, I'll flip. And that's just from a you know little small 60-second commercial that I advertise constantly. Here's so my goal is to fact. get as many rental properties as, as possible. I'd like to have at least 30000 in in um, income coming from rental properties. And right now I'm about uh, 10, 12,000. So 30,000 in net profit is what he's talking about here, listeners. So he wants 30,000 coming to himself per month. Um, so at that point, obviously he'll be, able, well, maybe not obviously, but Gary and his wife will be able to live off that income from the rental properties. And then the money that Gary makes from buying and selling real estate can go to other things. And Gary is paying cash for these houses too. That's important to understand that. Uh, so I'm gonna. This is a, I think, a period at the end of the sentence with regards to the profitability of teams. A point that um, I want to make sure I make very clear to all of you. So a real estate team that earns a million dollars in commission. All the agents working on the team, they bring in a million dollars in commission, right? So let's not worry about the average sale price or the average commission and all that. Let's just say the GCI for Team X is a million dollars. The team leader in that team the Gary Z type, the Rainmaker type, that person's going to make from that a million dollars about $100,000, $120,000. That's how much they're going to make. So a million dollars, after you pay all the expenses that have become the norm for these big teams, nets you about 10%. Now, if you are an individual practitioner and you're just selling real estate by yourself with maybe one assistant and you had a GCI of, say, 175000 maybe even 160000 You'd make the same, if not more, as that person with a big team. Now, I'm giving you some extreme examples, but this is really how the math works. So I want all of you to really, because as an individual practitioner without having a bunch of overhead, you can actually make way more as a percent, 75% net profit from the transactions you're doing, versus the big team person who's only making 10. So the big team person probably didn't know when they started or when they were on that path they didn't know what the profit margins actually would be at the other end of that rainbow because nobody ever told them. Because as Gary said, nobody likes to talk about the truth. Because if someone starts talking about the fact that big teams aren't profitable, big teams in a way have almost become a religion, you know, talking about teams and talking about scaling in your culture and all this stuff. People love to talk about that stuff because it makes it so they have a, a very crafty distraction from doing the real work in real estate. 
And the real work in real estate is being of service to others, obviously, and learning how to proactively lead generate. So, Gary, I'm going to do – let's talk about lead gen in a second. But So, listings-wise, how many – buyers versus sellers, how many – what are your ratios? Like, for every 10 deals you do, how many are sellers and how many are buyers? Uh, about eight or nine would be sellers. So, I mainly deal with sellers. And when you Rarely do get a buyer, it's almost – it, well, yeah. So, so when you get a buyer lead, let's talk about that. When you get a buyer lead, what do you do with it? Well, if if it's uh, you know on one of my properties, of course I'll try to double end it. If it's not, then uh, I will give it to a, a buyer's agent in my office. Okay, so what, they, they just take too much that. time. They, just, they take too yeah. much time in, in showing them properties after properties, making offers. Sometimes it's difficult to get those offers accepted. So I would rather spend you know 100% of my time dealing with sellers, trying to attract seller leads. So you're making more net profit, listeners. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to this question. You're making more net profit off referring a buyer lead to an agent. And you're, you know, just referring that buyer lead out, then the agent doesn't even work for you. You're making more net profit from that referral fee than you would when that person was actually working for you as a buyer's agent. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah, they just take so, too long and, to convert. Sometimes they don't convert. So, yeah, I would rather, yeah. like I said, spend 100% of my time on sellers. Of course, and you don't have to screw. Around. I mean, that, that's you don't have to screw around training. You don't have to worry about you know running the adult daycare. You don't have to worry about any of this <laughs> stuff because you can just and then you can handpick. You can choose who you're going to refer those right. buyers out to. Sure. Um, and there's agents out there who never will take a listing. They're terrified of the idea of taking a listing, but they'll work buyers until the cows come home. So it's easy for right. you to find great buyers agent to refer deals to, and they're very appreciative of it too. Oh, um, yeah. All right, so Absolutely. let's talk. I'm going to talk about something you just said too. You said you are, uh, and we're going to talk about radio in a second, but are the, is the whole iBuyers thing, the open doors of the world, are those companies a threat to Gary Z? Uh, not really. Um, I do. I did uh, advertise, uh, I do a couple of advertisements uh, just to kind of uh, go after some of those, uh, let's say, sellers that were thinking about going with these uh open door uh, type uh, companies that are out there. I'll give you an example. One I had, I met with a seller. She had met with one of these uh, companies and they had offered her 360000 for her house. Uh, they weren't comfortable with it. They thought, let's just get a second opinion. So they called me. So I ended up uh, going over to their house and meeting with them. And I told them, you could get a lot more for your property. So I actually guaranteed that if that they would sell their house for 400000 or I would buy it. And uh, they're pretty excited about that, being that the other company offered them 360000 So uh, we ended up uh, getting the listing. I ended up putting the house in the market. We ended up selling it for 420000 We had over five offers on it. I mean, these people were so grateful and so thankful that they ended up making an extra $60,000 on their house. So uh, really, they're not that much of a threat um, because they end up coming in really, really lowballing the sellers, trying to get it for nothing, you know, 50 cents on their dollar, et cetera. So really they're not a threat. Um, so as far as you are actually – you're actually using iBuyers running TV ads, running billboards, just being – you know, hammering your marketplace. You're actually using that as a, a vehicle for your for, – to generate more leads on the radio. So let's pivot and let's talk about the radio. How long have you been advertising on the radio? What works, what doesn't? Um, you know what? Just everything you can possibly share with all of our listeners. 
Sure. I've been advertising uh, 15 plus years. Uh, I've tried uh, you know, rock and roll station, an oldie station. Country seems to be the the best. That seems to work well. Uh, on this station that I advertise, it's uh, that goes out to about 700,000 daily listeners. So all I do is uh, write commercial spots based on the situations that I encounter every day. You know, I made a seller, in this case, an extra $60,000. Uh, or another situation, I sold, uh, you know, I, I advertise that I'm the expired listing expert. If your house hasn't sold with another agent, it's been 90 days in the market, uh, well, you might want to give me a call. I can sell it quickly. And An example, one gentleman called me, had his house on the market 90 days. It didn't sell. Uh, I took it over, sold it in four days at the same price that the other agent had it for. So... Uh, radio is the best. I mean, you could, um, you know, you could uh, put on these uh, commercials that uh, will generate the kind of leads that you want, depending on the situation. If the market's, you know, going uh, south, and uh, you know that there are going to be a lot of sellers that are underwater, well, you can do short sale advertisements, short sale testimonies, and bring in those type of sellers. So, anyhow, radio has really worked uh, wonderful for me. And by the way, Gary, if they wanted to get a hold of you to ask any questions, how can they do that? You can reach me on my cell phone, 909-841-7501. Can you say it again slower, please? 909-841-7501. And I'm also going to throw this out there, too. I know you recently switched to EXP. Um, we're going to talk more about lead generation here in a second. We're going to go back to it, and listeners, when we go back to it, we're going to talk about the best times of day to run the radio ads. We're going to talk about what works on radio as far as the message and what doesn't. So we're going to get into the weeds about everything you might want to consider if you're doing radio ads. We're also going to talk about how much it costs, and I think some of you are going to be shocked at how affordable it is if you know what you're doing. So, Gary, I want to talk to you. You've been an independent. This was kind of surprising with you. You were an independent broker basically your entire adult life for 20 years, right? You've been in real estate right. for as long as I have. And Correct. you decided to switch to EXP. Why? Well, um, it was very recent, so I just uh, switched uh, recently. Uh, I was a little skeptical at first, and the more and more I did my research, the more I looked into this company, I thought, wow, this is great. Um, it's a great company. It's got a great community. Uh, the technology, I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, it's got the websites all set up and the uh, lead generation tools. I mean, everything was just was just what I've been looking for all along. You know, and I'm tired of, you know, trying to look for the newest thing, uh, you know, on the Internet or advertisement, and, and it seemed like uh, EXP had it all. So I was very impressed with uh, their technology and their um, uh, basically their technology. That was just uh, one part of it all. What were the other reasons? Other reasons, uh, stock options. Yeah, I like that. I'm thinking, now, you know, I've been in the business 20 years. Had I done something like this 20 years ago, you know, I'd be, uh, you know, I'd be so much further ahead than where I'm at now. So I thought, wow, that'd be great. I like the stock options. I like uh, the the revenue sharing. Uh, you know, just something unheard of in our business. So I thought that was so, a great feature. You know, if I could, uh, you know, take advantage of that, would be wonderful. That's the thing I hear constantly from the EXP people that are being interviewed as part of this interview series for EXP is that the 
the revenue share and the stock options are really something that's never been offered to agents at this level. It creates an additional income spoke, um, but it also really creates an opportunity to build long-term wealth. The idea, so like, for example, Gary's now buying rental properties, you know, with cash. He's paying them off. It's the same path that Julie and I followed, actually. And the idea is that, you know, one day, very soon, Gary's going to have enough paid off rental properties that if he chose to, he could just pick lint out of his belly button down at the beach <laughs> in Laguna <laughs> Beach if that's what he chose to do. Okay, but the, uh, it's going to take him a while. It's taken him 20 years to get to the point where he's got the rental properties that he does. Gary, had you known about the revenue share program at EXP back when you were in your 20s? Had you known how to actually, you know, build uh, passive income through a company like EXP? Do you think you would have bought rental properties? Do you think you would? Have, I'm just curious. Do you think you would have actually focused your energies on, you know, earning the money and you know, managing and dealing with rental properties if you could have created the same level, if not more, of passive income from revenue share faster? Would you have done it? Probably, probably not. Rental properties take a lot of your time. I mean, you have people calling you constantly to fix this and fix that or, or you know, just the liability part of it all. So probably I, I wouldn't because I, I like, you know, my free time. I, I want to enjoy the beach. I want to enjoy my family. So, you know, with a lot of rental properties, either you delegate it to a property manager or if you manage it yourself, yeah, it consumes a lot of your time and energy. So probably to answer your question, no, I would not have done it. Uh, rental properties are about the farthest thing from truly, truly passive income as you're going to discover, listeners. <laughs> a lot of you um, have started on this voyage and you're following the traditional path, which is totally respectable, of building your wealth long-term through uh, holding your you know, wealth in rental properties. And it makes sense. Conceptually, it's a really good fit. But here's what you need to take into consideration. The amount of, you know, and I give math, this math to people all the time just because they need to understand. Um, on average, you're going to make about $800 net after taxes, uh, obviously on a fully rented property. And, but the property itself is going to cost you usually about 150 to 175 grand. Now, you're going to buy these in places like Indianapolis and North Carolina and Columbus, Ohio and you know, certain parts of Texas. You're going to buy these in markets that are probably not in your backyard, so you're going to be reliant on local experts to, frankly, manage the property for you and not rip you off. So you're going to have to manage those managers no, no matter how good those managers are. Otherwise, you'll find that you're not making your $800 net. You're making a lot less. So I want you all to consider that um, when you, let's say you had 150 grand in cash, because I'm talking about 800 net with no mortgage, when you have 150 grand in cash, how long is it going to take you to save up that amount of money after taxes? It's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, what Gary said, frankly, I agree with 100%. Had Julie and I known about EXP's revenue share opportunity, I'm not sure back when we were, you know, 22 and 23, whether we would have started buying rental properties because the sacrifice that's necessary to save the money to, uh, you know, all the, it's more hassle sometimes than you guys can possibly imagine. I mean, Julie and I were driving back from a movie the other night, and she just she got a text from our property manager in Ohio, um, and they said that one of the basements in one of the rental properties had flooded. It's like, awesome! <laughs> you know? and, and, Julie, and Julie had this sort of like, oh, God, how much is this one going to cost me? Look on her face. And, you know, that's the money that you would have otherwise had as positive income now goes to fixing up the properties. 
Now, what are your other alternatives if you want to build long-term wealth? It's going to be the stock market. But if you're going to put it in retirement accounts, you can't touch that money without paying penalties and live off of it really until you go to retire, unless you want to pay a lot of taxes on it. So the moral of the story is if you're a normal Joe or Josephine and you're looking to build long-term wealth, there are actually very few paths uh, to accomplishing that goal. You might be lucky and you know have a company that you take public or you know have a rich aunt or uncle pass away and leave you a, a fortune. None of those things are very likely. So when you're in your formidable business, uh, you know in your formidable years of forming your business and deciding that, and discovering that really your uh, your ultimate product in your business is profit, but without and with that profit you reinvest it. It's going to be a very difficult path for you to follow to really understand what the best best route, where it is to invest the money. Everyone goes through that phase once they become successful like Gary. Um, but you know what? The option now is you can do a revenue share program with a company like eXp. And Gary created a really kick-ass video I want all of you guys to see. Text the word Harris – I'm sorry, text the word eXp, just eXp, the 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. It actually describes how the revenue share program works and also all the other things that Gary talked about as far as technology. So, Gary, I want to talk more about what you're doing as far as radio because there is an art and science to making the radio ads work, and you've experimented. Let's talk about, first of all, what didn't work just for the sake of – because some of these stories are funny. <laughs> so what didn't work as far as radio advertising? Advertising for buyers, that doesn't work. I've tried it on numerous stations and, you know, writing testimonials and situations. So advertising for buyers just it never really got the phone stirring. So once I switched it to, to testimonials on the situations that I encounter every day with sellers, that seemed to make the phone ring and ring and ring. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Well, you, you did also – you made some mistakes with celebrity endorsements too. Didn't Celebrity endorsements aren't always a home run. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. We've even tried that where you had uh, a celebrity endorse, and uh, we would plug that into our uh, daily advertisement, and uh, we would air that. And depending you know, uh, on the time of day or, or no matter what time of the day, it just didn't work. Some of these uh, radio personalities or celebrities are not very popular in the area that I live in, so um, it just did not make the phone ring at all. So that was a total bust. Well, just listeners, so for example, um, you know, Gary's tried endorsements from like, you know, Barbara Corcoran or Rascal Flats or other things like that. And so he's, he's actually um, – gone to the extent of knowing that a lot of these celebrity endorsements don't really ring true. And if you guys were listening to what he said, what really worked the most were the actual testimonials from the actual people he did deals with. And it, they, these are just normal people that are just telling their actual experience, and that's what really got the phone to ring for these radio ads. So talk about the format. Well, let's actually drill down a little bit more. When is the best time sure. of day to run the radio ads? Like, Morning, afternoon, anytime, when? Uh, usually the mornings. Uh, you've got uh, people commuting in the mornings. 7:30-ish seems to be the time that works. So you've got a lot of, let's say, you know, soccer moms uh, taking their kids to school or people commuting to work. So the early morning seems to work the best. I've tried the afternoons and the evening drive, and that just doesn't work. So uh, I've focused all my time and energy on the morning drive or the the early morning 
spots to advertise. So when you say early morning, what time are we talking here? 7.30. That seems to be the magical time slot. 7.30. When you have, a ra- when you have somebody call from the radio um, and they are interested, what's the experience? You give a phone number, I'm assuming, and then they call the phone number, and then you call them back. Is that a hard sell as far as getting them to want to list with you? What's the nature of the the conversation when you're calling them back after them having heard all these wonderful things about you on the radio? <laughs> it's not a hard sell at all. As a matter of fact, it's usually a come list me leads. See, since they've been listening to me, let's say, for a number of years and, and my experiences with, with the public and with the homeowners, they feel like they know me. So when they actually call and, and, and get in touch with me or they call and I answer the phone, they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think we were ever going to talk with you. Or when I show up to the appointment, they thought that I was going to delegate it to you know, another agent. So they're very, very surprised when I actually show up to the uh, appointment myself. And it's easy. Uh, I look at their house. I throw a price. I go over, you know, my listing presentation, and uh, like I said, nine out of ten times I walk out with that uh, listing in my hand. Also, they don't negotiate much on the commission. Uh, usually, I come out of there with a six percent commission uh, on the listing. So, really, it's very, very easy once I get through the door. So, um, it's because you have this level, you have this air of being something better than a normal agent because they heard you on the radio. That's essentially Correct. the reason why. You have almost an unfair advantage when it comes to competing. And um, as far as like an overly formalized approach to taking the listing, because a lot of times you're not – when is the last time you actually competed for a listing <laughs> for the radio person? Does that even ever happen? Huh. Uh, sometimes it does, but most of the time it doesn't. Usually they just call me, I get there, I take the listing. Uh, other times they have interviewed a couple of uh, agents. I usually make sure that uh, I'm the last agent they interview, and then you know, I just uh, uh, push to, to get them to sign. I, I'm not going to leave until I get uh, a signature on that contract. And usually you know, I'm competing against a few other agents, and, and usually they can't compete with my numbers or my advertisement. Uh, the budget and, and and all that we do. Well, let's talk about your numbers. What were you? What are you projecting to sell this year in terms of units? Just you and basically a, a one full-time, one part-time assistant. What are you expecting to sell this year? This year, about eighty, eighty-five units for just myself. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's and that's amazing because from the eighty-five units, basically with a profit margin that you're running, which is about eighty percent, if not more. Uh, some months, that's a staggering amount of, you know, <laughs> that's a huge income for someone making this list in Southern California. And, it, you know, right. I'm going to take a half step back. When you go to these masterminds and you see these people strutting around with their big staffs and teams and, you know, they're all sort of butt sniffing because they're all jealous of, oh, I sold 500 houses, I sold 600 houses. It must be a weird feeling knowing that you're making not just a little bit more in net profit, but a substantially higher uh, margin than all these people with these big teams. How I, how do you relate to them knowing that you know something that they don't seem to know in terms of what the whole damn point of being in business is, which is to make a profit? Does that make you well, feel I, funny? I, I have to think yeah. it would. Oh, it does. I mean, I can't relate because they have such a huge team, and so I can't relate in that aspect. But, you know, uh, I look at profit, and, um, you know, that's all I'm really focusing on. And so, uh, it's you know I have a lot more freedom than they do. I can you know <clears throat> take a little more vacation time, or I can 
uh, not stress about if an agent's going to quit on me or if uh, I'm paying, you know, 25000 a month to, to buy leads uh, from Zillow. So really, I think their stress level is, is a lot higher than mine. And uh, like I said, you know, I'm all about making profit, and that's all that matters. That's right, and shoveling that profit back into buying rental properties so you can be rich right. for your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. It is not that hard. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> no, it why, why make it so damn difficult? It's crazy. The hell. You know, it is obviously uh, repeat listeners to our podcast know that that's something that we always kind of just cast dispersions on because if anyone actually with even a low IQ were to take the time and look at the net profit that you make from these big teams versus the way Gary's running his business, you would never in a billion years be seduced by the idea of having a big team. And you think it gets you more free time, but what you're doing is you're spending your time managing your managers or managing your staff or worrying about your staff doing this illegal thing or having to worry about whether or not you know this lead source is going to end up costing you ten times more than you thought. All that just never-ending worry. You think that's going to not be around in your head constantly? When you're a small business owner, guys, you are running 24-7 antivirus software in your mind looking for problems. And the more complex you make your business, the more that software is going to have to run never-ending. Gary runs a very simple, elegant business where he focuses primarily on listings, and those listings have a huge profit margin. He sells the houses. He makes, you know, it's not unusual for him to make $100,000 net profit in a month, and he shovels that off into buying rental properties. A lot of the coaching calls I've had with Gary are about how to, you know, where, how many and how fast to buy rental properties. Isn't that where all of you want to be? I'm sure it is. So, by the way, make sure you watch Gary's EXP video. Text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. In that video, you're going to learn exactly how the Revenue Share Program works, which, by the way, is the exact program that Gary was just talking about. Had he known about 20 years ago, he probably would have just – I mean, Gary, isn't it kind of ironic to think about this? Had you not had to buy all those rental properties, had you known about or had opportunity to do a Revenue Share Program – all the money and time you put into buying rental properties, think about how much more fun you would have been able to have. <laughs> you know? Isn't that crazy? A lot more fun. And I probably yeah, would have still done both. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, doing the profit sharing, the revenue sharing, and, and then maybe, you know, a couple of rental properties here and there. there sometimes there are these great deals out there that you just can't pass up. Well, and you get a lot of those from your radio ads, and a lot of the radio Absolutely. ads, when you saw the when when you saw the i buyers rolling into town, you started running radio ads that sounded very similar to the ads that they were running, and you started getting um, these new. But they, was it a different kind of call? What was the nature of those leads versus the leads you didn't traditionally getting? Well, I first started with. Uh, instant uh, cash offer with a hot link on my website. So they would go there, they'd press that, then I know that these people were in a situation where they had to sell quick, and they wanted me to make, of course, a cash offer. So uh, when they called, they just uh, wanted to sell quick. Uh, one of them, I met with a lady, she had to sell it quick. She wanted to do an all-cash transaction. So I met with her, wrote an offer right then and there, closed in 14 days. Uh, she was happy. I mean, she didn't have to do any repairs, pay any commission. Um, just a simple transaction, and, and um, that's what I'm looking for is those types of situations. There's a lot more than, than you can imagine, people out there that have houses that are in substandard condition that they want to sell, that they don't 
want uh, to hire a traditional real estate agent and the open houses and people coming through. They just want to sell it and sell it quick. So those are the type of people I'm looking for, and that's how I structure the commercials to attract those type of clients. So every uh, listener, broker, agent, doesn't matter what, you need to come up with, and, and this is part of our coaching program, by the way. We have this as part of the pre-listing kit, a guaranteed home sale type program. And Gary does, and Gary, your your ad, the ad, you run different varieties of radio ads because I'm sure the radio is what they're going to be most interested in. So you right. do have a guaranteed home sale type radio ad. You do have right. a testimonial type radio ad. Are you running any other types of radio ads right now? Uh, most of the time, it's the guaranteed sale that works the best. Can you talk that, about that? Uh, tell, tell them what it yeah. does. Tell them about the radio ad. It says uh, that we will, uh, you know, we when you list your house with us, um, if it doesn't sell, we'll buy it and buy it at a price that you and I uh, can negotiate on. So it's very, very simple, just a straightforward guaranteed sale. Uh, have I had to buy properties through the guaranteed sale program? <clears throat> of course. Sometimes I buy them just so that I can have a testimonial to run, so that they're pretty good uh, properties. Um, we don't even go on the market sometimes. Sometimes we just uh, come up with the price. If the house doesn't sell, I'll buy it at this price. And then I say, hey, <clears throat> why don't I just buy the house right now at that price instead of going on the market and trying to sell it to someone else? So <clears throat> a lot of options with the guaranteed sale program. Well, the point is, though, there are, um, the open doors, the iBuyers, none of, none of you listening should be threatened by them ultimately. What you need to do is learn to compete with them. What they are doing essentially is copying the guaranteed home sale program, which in one form or another has been in real estate since the late 70s, truthfully. It's not a new idea. None of these tech companies have new ideas, by the way. They're all just trying to work on old ideas that have been in real estate for a long time, and they're trying to essentially scale them around technology, which is fine because it gives all of us a roadmap to copy, a roadmap to copy them. And uh, so if you see that the iBuyers are taking away opportunity in your marketplace, compete against them because uh, there's no way that a seller wouldn't prefer to do a transaction with you over, over some of these no-name tech companies. These no-name tech companies do not treat the customer like you do. And if you read the reviews on some of these tech companies, they're atrocious. Um, consumers absolutely, for the most part, do not like the experiences they're having. It's not because the tech companies are doing anything wrong necessarily, the iBuyer companies. It's because the nature of the people that are running the transactions on behalf of the iBuyer companies don't have any sort of, you know, honestly, they're not handling the customer like you will. So, look, brokers, you need to have some sort of iBuyer guaranteed home sale offering at the very least. A lot of you are going to panic, how am I going to buy it? So, Gary, let's talk about that. When you when you get a, a, an occasional um, you know, iBuyer type offer, when you get someone that just wants to sell the house, what kind of discount are you able to get the house when you roll in your commission? Uh, anywhere from 10 to 20% discount. Okay. So when you are when somebody calls you out, uh, listeners, and you have somebody who's willing to sell the house to you for 20% off, I have news for you. You can go to virtually any bank and get a loan on that 20%, or you can sell it to an investor. It's not difficult. Right. You can structure these deals however you want to structure them. 
you know, so Gary, when you do come across deals that you don't want to buy, though now I'm saying that out loud, I can't remember the last time you came across a deal that you didn't buy, so that was a dumb question. That's right. But, it, That's but, right. If, you were start, <laughs> but if you were starting out again, you just flip it to an investor, right? Right, right. If Usually I'll buy it cash. If not, I can do hard money, or I have investors that are just dying to work with me and buy properties. I mean, they're constantly asking me, Gary, if you don't have any properties that uh, if you have any properties that you don't want to buy or not, or you have too many of them, let me know. I would gladly take them off your hands. Matter of fact, I'm having lunch with an investor today that he wants to uh, buy any properties that I have that uh, you know if I'm not interested in buying it, he'll take over on them. So, really, there's no problem with uh, finding investors if you can't buy them yourself. And those investors might have houses that they need to list and sell, so you could, you know, set up a relationship where you could start getting listings from those guys of the properties that they're ready to. You know, a lot of these investors are flippers too. So at the more at the end of the day, don't be threatened by the eye buyers. And more importantly, look at it as an opportunity for you to expand your own net worth when you choose to. I know this is an intimidating concept for a lot of you who are new in real estate. So if you can't or won't open your mind to the idea of accumulating some of these properties yourself, that's fine. It's easy to find investors that will happily pick these up from you. And then maybe the deal is the investor buys it, fixes it up if that's their desire, and when they put it back for sale, you get the listing. That way you make at least two commissions. So thoughts for all of you not to be intimidated by the iBuyer thing. So back to the radio ad. Um, how much do they cost? You run them, I heard you say you run them in the morning around 7.30, trying to get that morning drive right. time. I heard you sure. say you tested other times of the day. I heard you say you've kind of tested different, um, you know, different. I wouldn't won't say formats, but what works well are the testimonial type um, radio ads and then the guaranteed home sale type radio ads. So let's talk about first of all the testimonial type ads. What do they say? And secondarily, I'd like to talk about what it actually costs to run radio ads. Uh, testimonials are just situations I encounter. Uh, for instance, I, I had a gentleman that called me on the guaranteed sale. He said, I have my house. I want you to buy it at this price. This is what I would gladly sell it for if you'll buy it for, from me. And I says, okay, I would gladly buy it from you at this price, but I think I can get you more money if we put it on the market. So uh, he was surprised that I didn't just buy the house out from him at the price that he had uh, had given me. So uh, I ended up putting it on the market. We sold it just as fast as I would have bought it. And he ended up making an extra $50,000 uh, than what he had offered me. So I was very excited about that, making him more money. And I made a testimonial out of that. And that seemed to make the phone ring and ring off the hook. I just got quite a bit of leads off of that little spot alone. Well, so he did the audio for the testimonial, right? You didn't. He actually recorded himself saying, thanks, Gary. What, what, do you remember what he said on the radio ad? Uh, he said, uh, Gary got me an extra $50,000, and uh, he was uh, moving uh, closer to his family out of state in St. Louis, and he said with the extra $50,000, he's going to live comfortably uh, for the rest of his life, whatever, however many years uh, he had left. He was quite old. Okay, well, that's great. And so I'm, yeah. I think probably a lot of listeners will be asking themselves, if the guy was willing to wholesale it to you or sell it to you at a, a less price, lesser price, why did you elect not to buy it? Why? What was your thinking when you decided just to put it for sale retail? Well, if, if the house is substandard, if it's a mess, then, yeah, I would have gladly 
bought it from him. But when there's nothing wrong with the house, and I could easily sell it to you know your average uh, you know first-time home buyer and make more money, you know, I'm going to push for that. Uh, you know, I only buy properties that are in substandard condition where I can buy them at a discount, fix them up, and then resell them. So if it's something that's in good condition, you know, I, I just tell the, the client that you can make more money on the open market than if I were to buy it uh, at a discount. So. And that's something that Open Door and these iBuyer companies, for the record, will never say in a billion years. They are one-trick ponies. They're going to buy the house. What Gary's saying is he handles each of these situations differently. He looks for the ones where he can, where the sellers don't want to have the money, you know, don't want to fix it up to make it retail ready. He's buying those. Those are the ones that he's actually then buying and, and reselling, or he's actually keeping those in his own rental pool. So there is a different angle, too, for those of you who are thinking about how you can compete against the iBuyer companies because you have, you're not a one-trick pony. You're not just sell me your house at a discount. I've seen some of these offers from some of these iBuyer companies, by the way, guys, and Gary, what he said was right. These, some of these iBuyer companies, they had these arbitrary fees for like $30,000 fee for what? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you talk, right. talk about that. You've seen some of these too. Talk about it. Yeah. On top of the lowball offer, they'll have uh, fees anywhere from you know, fifteen to 30000 I've seen. So they'll add these fees on top of the lowball offers that they make these sellers. And sometimes these sellers are in situations where they've bought another home and they have to sell their house quick now, so they'll they'll call these companies to to sell it. And really, you know, these i buyers will take advantage of them and uh, because of their situation and offer them the these ridiculously low offers with these uh, you know enormous fees on top of it all. So it really is a bad situation for these these sellers. The only way i buyers are going to kick our butt, industry, it, 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 you know, real estate industry, as I'm talking to all of you, is if we're lazy and, and essentially let them. Now we have been lazy and let other stupid things happen, and I'm talking specifically about agents buying buyer leads. I'm talking about all the silly things that have happened really in the past 10 to 15 years with regards to this belief that we should just wholeheartedly welcome these tech companies in and expect that they're going to treat us fairly over the long term. They won't. They see the greatest opportunity as disintermediating us and taking the commission. Don't be fooled by that. So you're going to have to think like Gary and think like a business owner. And if they come across, if, if he discovers something clever that a competitor, which these iBuyers are, are offering, he's going to copy them. He's going to iterate on their <laughs> idea. And all of you need to be thinking right. the same thing because that's what they're doing to us. So, by the way, text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. All right, Gary, let's talk about uh, how much radio costs. Let's talk about how many ads you run and what they should expect. How much money does, do I have to spend if I'm thinking about running radio ads, and how long will it take generally before I start seeing results? Because it's not an instant results type thing. Well, sometimes it is instant because that uh, radio personality has been on there for years and years and years. All of a sudden, he vouches for you and he uh, gives you instant credibility. I mean, you, that phone can ring, you know, immediately after a commercial airs. It did for me when I first started. I mean, the phone rang the next day or two, and I picked up a couple of listings immediately from the endorsement. So, uh, you normally don't have to wait, you know, months and months. Sometimes it's instant. Uh, I found out that advertising, you know, in the mornings is the best time, weekdays, of course. Uh, Monday's no good usually because, you know, people are coming in from a, a long weekend or a weekend and they're hungover or just, you know, the Monday. <laughs>
Monday blues, so they, they don't respond well on Mondays. Uh, also Friday, Friday it's the start of their weekend. They're done. They don't want to listen. They're not going to call. They're getting ready for the weekend. So Fridays never did well for me. So it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, you know, every week uh, of the month did well for me. And the cost, as far as you know, just three commercials uh, every week. Um, you know, for the month, it depends on where you're at. But in my market, it's kind of expensive. Other markets, they're not as expensive. Um, but I pay anywhere from 3500 a month to 5000 a month. Okay, so from 3500 to 5000 a month, on average, how many listing lead calls do you get, not how many listings do you take? So how many raw leads does it generate? Uh, leads anywhere from 7 to 10 per month. Okay, so cost per lead sounds high, and, and it is high if you're not good at taking listings. So if you can't take... So we can do that in our head. So Gary's paying an average on the high side of $500 per lead. Okay, that sounds like a lot of money because it is a lot of money. But for Gary, it makes sense because he can go out there and he can take the listings. When was the last time, I'm not asking you to brag, uh, but when was the last time you went on a listing where you didn't take the listing, where you went on an appointment and you didn't take the listing? I Actually, I'm thinking that as I asked that question, I can't remember the last time that happened. It doesn't happen too often. It did happen recently. I went on an appointment. It was late. Uh, these people could only meet with me at 9 p.m. And, you know, after 7, I'm done. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, to get motivated and be at my best, uh, you know, at 9 o'clock. So I went in there, did my approach, did my listing, and, you know, I, I thought it was pretty decent. Um, and I didn't get the listing. And I walked out afterwards, and I was like, man, I didn't even get the listing. I went home, and I looked in the mirror, and my shirt, I forgot to button up the buttons, the little flaps on the bottom, and the back was sticking up, and uh, just, it, it just didn't look good. So I'm thinking, well, maybe they weren't too impressed with the, you know, how I looked. Like rolled out of bed. Yeah, it just looked like I rolled out of bed. But it was 9 p.m. What do you expect? But I did not get that listing. I called him and called him. Uh, the husband was all for it, but the wife wanted to go with someone else, so. I ended up losing it. So that rarely showed up looking rarely. decent. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Well, but the listeners, <laughs> when you're list, when you're listening to this, I hear so in longtime listeners and pod and uh, premier coaching members, I want you to remember that Gary's radio ads, though we didn't talk about it, actually, though it is a major spoke for him, a lead generation spoke for sure. It supplements the other things that he does. He gets business from his centers of influence and past clients. Gary calls expired listings. He's getting better at that. He's been able to avoid actually being great at that for a long time because the radio has been able to feed him so consistently, if we're being honest. But the moral of the story is, is that radio – now, here's the scary thing about radio, Gary. It doesn't work consistently. We've, you know, in the long time I've been coaching you, there's been months – where we're like, WTF, where are the radio leads? So talk about, like, is there any, there's no rhyme or reason to it either, is there? It's crazy. Right, right. During the holiday season, it dies out. I mean, you know, after Thanksgiving, it's somewhat dead. And then the beginning of the year, you know, January, it takes a while for it to get going. But, you know, all the other months, you know, it's, it's usually very consistent. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you do have some months where it doesn't work or some weeks that it doesn't work or you have no calls. Uh, but for the most part, like I said, it does generate quite a few leads. And, uh, and, and you it, get, you know, the ones that I get, yeah, you know, it makes up yeah, for those you, dry months. Sure. But just for what it's worth, listeners, it's important that you understand what he just said. 
This reinforces our spokes on the wheel analogy. So radio, as strong as a, as a butt kicking of a spoke as, as it is, probably eight months of the year, you know, four months of the year, it's terrible. So you need to be taking into consideration as you listen to this and you think the radio is the easy button. It's not because what happens is Gary, if he wasn't smart, could easily piss away the profit he made during those eight good months um, during the four bad months. So that's the reason he does other things as well. So when you're building your lead generation spokes, when you're deciding what spokes you're going to put on your wheel first, remember, always do the proactive spokes first. The proactive spokes being the ones that you control, picking up the phone, learning how to prospect, learning how to proactively lead generate. Then you add the passive spokes like what radio is. Don't do it the other way around because in those you know dark months <laughs> that where Gary's not getting a lot of radio leads, he then isn't worried about losing the profit he made during the good months because he's already supplementing with the other things that he can proactively uh, create through his own uh, efforts. And that's the important thing to remember. If you want to have consistent cash flow, if you want to build wealth consistently, you have to remember that the core spokes in your lead generation wheel will always have to be the proactive ones. Don't be seduced into thinking that you don't actually have to learn how to sell. You do. Gary, I'm curious. Do you consider yourself a salesperson? Yes, I think I, I am. Yeah. I have to sell myself uh, even on the come list me lead. So, yeah, I am a salesperson. When, there's a lot of agents that find that offensive, with the, me calling them or you calling them, referring that you know, they don't think they should be salespeople. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the industry has this sort of you know, head junk about considering it, realizing that real estate agents are just nothing other than salespeople? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm a salesperson too. So why is it that people have some issue with being considered salespeople? Well, I think they compare real estate agents with used car salesmen. So, so people want to steer away from that. So they're like, no, I'm not a used car salesman. I don't sell. Uh, so, you know, I think that's probably it right there. They, they don't want to be compared to used car salesmen. So it's kind of an embarrassment to them. But it's like, <laughs> why be embarrassed? I mean, we make a ton of money, you know, selling ourselves, selling our services. So yeah, I am a salesperson. I love it. Isn't the other reason why people don't want to consider themselves salespeople? Because if they were uh, to consider themselves salespeople, then they'd actually have to learn how to sell. Do you think that's a true statement? Could be. I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. They're too lazy. No. They don't want to learn how to sell. It's funny when you go buy a car and you are now dealing with, let's say, a, a car salesman, and it, it's great to tell these guys, "Hey, you're not going to outsell me. I do this for a living. There's no way you're going to out negotiate me. This is the price I want for the car, and this is all I'm paying." And it's great. You always win. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.